1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, that uh, hostage deal that we were discussing prior to the Thanksgiving holiday, was consummated over the weekend, as you undoubtedly read, at least in part, over several days, one tranche of hostages at a time, if you will. The um, ultimate deal, and it's interesting because there's been some criticism of the deal that it was too sweet a deal for Hamas. But the uh, gist of it is 50 Israeli women and children released over the four-day ceasefire in exchange for 150 Palestinian women and children, so three to one. Uh, In addition to allowing supply trucks into Gaza, uh, this, I guess, more or less shepherded by the Red Cross as the intermediary, as well as uh, aerial movement over southern Gaza to stop uh, for most of the day, be limited to six hours a day over the north. So uh, stop over the south, limited to six hours a day over the north. And then there's this open-ended situation where, with the release of each additional ten hostages that will extend the ceasefire the temporary pause right. for an additional day three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey Pro line six four six three six d a turnkey text line your uh reaction to the deal as we saw hostages released over the weekend both uh, israelis uh Thai uh persons of Thai extraction who work in Israel, as well as, uh, importantly, some Americans.
2: Well, the thing is, the first release, though, Dan, four-year-old Abigail, who turned four on Friday while she was in captivity, she wasn't part of the deal, but thank God yesterday she was part of the deal, and President Biden celebrated. Today,
3: she's free, and Jill and I, together with so many Americans, are praying for the fact that she is going to be all right.
2: I remember she, her great aunt, because her, that was the only surviving family member, because her dad died. She went on NBC with Lester Hall and described how she, the four-year-old, escaped to somebody's house.
4: Abigail actually had crawled out from under her father's body.
5: And full of his blood went to a neighbor and they took her in.
2: So she, she's free. She's been reunited with her surviving family members. But we still have eight Americans, Dan. The, and one's got a green card, that are still being held hostage. And I just feel like there's no sense of urgency from Biden at all. I mean, Well, the
0: question is what really was the involvement of the Biden administration in this because they were pretty sketchy. Uh, Jake from State Department was pretty sketchy with the details over the weekend. Uh, and, in fact, House Intel chairman, Representative Mike Turner, Republican from Ohio who is the chairman of House Intel, was on Meet the Press yesterday saying this about this hostage exchange.
6: Right. Um, well, you know, it's, it's been very curious that the administration is so quick to claim this is a Biden deal. And as you just heard from Jake Sullivan, uh, he continues to say we know every detail, but then he, he can't answer your questions as to those details. Um, you know, our expectation is there are 10 Americans that are being held out of the 240 hostages that, that are people who are missing. No one really knows the number. Uh, Jake Sullivan was saying that he doesn't even even know the number, nor do we know the proof of life. And you, know, you would have thought if this if they're claiming credit, this is a Biden deal, that those are details that we would have conditioned this process through, because the aid that's going into northern Gaza, that's a condition that Hamas uh, required, uh, includes American aid. Um, so, you know, obviously, I think everyone's very concerned.
0: Yeah, it doesn't strike me as a Biden deal. Primarily, it strikes me as an Israeli cutter deal. Uh more specifically, and uh, Turner, Representative Turner, made the additional important point about the location of the hostages. You know, this is uh, complicated, at least insofar as questions we have and answers we don't.
6: We're not even sure that Hamas has all of the hostages. There are other radical groups within uh, Gaza uh, that might have possession of, of some of these hostages. We're not sure which ones are alive, uh, where their bodies may be in, in, the, in, in either Gaza or uh, where Hamas has held them. How will you know, the Red Cross be able to tell us you know, who's alive and, and who's not? And that, and that is part of certainly the, the terrible distress that these families go through. People who have been told that their relatives... Are deceased or now finding they're alive people who believe they're alive may find out uh, tragic news
0: I think he's uh getting to the point where it's it's pretty clear that uh at at best uh, America was playing second chair to Israel in the first chair with respect to this deal making
2: i mean does anybody feel like they're living the carter administration all over again? We have high of inflation, high mortgage rates and Americans being held hostage. The, um,
0: the, the other uh, thing about this uh, with respect to Biden and the deal is uh, the criticism of the deal that this provides advantage to Hamas. This is the pause that they wanted, and it uh, inhibits the prosecution of the war against Hamas by Israel. Um, I understand that, but I also – just to address that because, I mean, we've had people, Alex Berenson and others, uh, Bolton, unsurprisingly, critical of the deal. But you also have to understand the kind of pressure the Israeli government is under, not to mention the interest that America has. I certainly have interest in seeing the American hostages returned. Mm -hmm. And if we have to pay a premium for that in terms of an exchange of women and children – then that's not the biggest deal in the world to me. So, but the pressure they're under with with the families, with the optics against the backdrop of the, the geopolitics of this uh, that you see playing out in the streets of major cities and of course on college campuses here, I think it's difficult to not make this deal. And I don't know how lasting any advantage or reprieve that, The ceasefire provides Hamas for the return of hostages really gets them. I don't think it changes the trajectory of this campaign for the Israelis, and I don't think it changes the outcome either. Probably puts more Israeli soldiers at risk, but um, that's sort of what you signed up for in these complicated matters. Uh, So, yeah, I'm, I'm just not in that camp. I don't know if people were getting into this discussion over the holiday, but I'm just not in that camp that... Wants to pick apart this deal. You, you yes. So only fifty for one fifty. There's still two hundred plus left. Uh, we still don't know, as Representative Turner was saying, uh, how many and where the Amer- all of the Americans are. But this is this is progress and progress in the direction we wanted.
2: And President Biden, according to NBC News, he's working to extend the ceasefire to get more hostages back. So I, don't I, don't know, I don't know what that means.
0: Well, because it, we it's going to expire soon. We just got we just got done saying that this isn't Biden's deal. No, and now I you're know. going to repeat what NBC no, no, News is I'm reporting? No, no, I'm just saying that
2: he's still holding on hope that he's a, a maker in this deal, which he's not. But it's the bull jive that he's selling to but the American a, people.
7: Uh, yeah.
0: Joe and Hoffman Estates.
7: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, you don't have to really uh, spend much time thinking about how this deal went down if you consider... Or if you compare, I should say, to what would, uh, Ronald Reagan would have done, what would his deal have been, or or Donald Trump, uh, and then you can just analyze it from there and say, "Hmm, this is a typical, this is a typical administration that's incompetent."
0: Thanks for the call, Joe. Uh, Biden over the weekend also going back in time to October seventh to amazing. suggest uh, a, the basis. Now, I can't prove it, as you'll yeah. hear him say, the basis uh, for the Hamas terrorist attack.
3: Uh-huh. I cannot prove what I'm about to say. But I believe one of the reasons why Hamas struck when they did oh, was they knew that I was working very closely with the Saudis and others in the region to bring peace to the region by having recognition of Israel and Israel's right to exist. Yeah, his- One thinks very highly
2: of oneself, huh?
0: His argument was that uh, he was going to be instrumental in the construction of a railroad from Riyadh through the Middle East to to Europe, connecting the region to Europe. And this was something that Hamas needed to derail because it would bring peace to the region. We'll uh, get Stephen Bucci's reaction to that a little bit later in the show. But uh, uh, to say that strains the bounds of credulity is uh, to understate. How silly that statement is. Alex in Hinsdale, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
8: Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, Dan, I uh, usually I, I agree with you on this one. I think that you're not looking at the total picture about having a problem. I can draw a direct line from the $6 billion they gave Iran. They stopped the embargo of their oil to give them $60 billion. And these, these despot regimes smell weakness. And now Americans have a bigger target on their back, and Hamas absolutely has won this. Uh,
0: okay, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Iran piece of this. I'm not missing it. But the issue is, what do you want to do to get Americans out and other hostages, but Americans first from my perspective, um, again, with the administration that you have? Not the administration you wish you had. The administration you have, the administration that was part of the administration that provided a glide path to nuclear to a nuclear Iran, which is where you actually start to draw the uh, dots, not just the recent six billion. It comes a decade earlier. So you're not seeing the whole picture, actually. Um, So this is what we have and we have to deal with what we have. The best we know how in order to get what we want, which first and foremost is the hostages out. And then secondly, is to have Israel finish the job on Hamas best it can. I mean, nobody's Pollyannish about the Iran role here. Uh, Mike Turner actually addressed it. Again, House Intel Committee
6: chairman yesterday and meet the press. Oh, absolutely. And, and they see it as their proxy. I mean, they state it, it is. And they, they state that it is their proxy war against the West. Should um, the
4: U.S. take action against
2: Iran if it continues to escalate?
6: Well, I think we currently are taking action against their, their proxies. Direct I do think, military I, action? I do think against their proxies. I do think that the administration should step up its effort in protecting our own troops in Syria and Iraq who have been subject to attacks from Iranian proxies. But you're right. These are absolutely Iranian franchises funded, trained and stood up as terrorist organizations to attack the West.
0: Yeah, no one is confused about that. Um, But well, uh, no one, you know, this side of the Biden administration is confused about that. Um, But again, the question is, how do you deal on a landscape that's been created by terrible American policy? particularly the Obama administration policies vis-a-vis Iran and the Middle East. And um, I think that's a little bit more complicated. We know that in real time, you still don't have the Biden administration imposing and enforcing the sanctions against the Iranian oil exports, which is providing tens of billions of dollars more for them to use to finance terrorist activities. So it's it's quite frustrating. I mean, I can't prove this, to borrow a phrase from Mr. 10%, the big guy. But uh, I don't know that you would have had a Hamas attack on October 7th had the administration been different.
1: It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer.
9: is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630, and learn all about this great bank 773-467-5630 or visit them online at signaturebank.bank That's signaturebank.bank Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender
1: If you're looking for the latest news insight into what it means and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn and it's this one. We're AM560 The Answer
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, who, who would have thunk it? It turns out that um, economic reality applies to the LGBTQ plus community, too. I know. Uh, Berlin, this uh, institution in Lakeview.
2: Have you ever been?
0: I'm no. I'm just
2: kidding. I, I know what the answer is before I even ask it. I was being sarcastic. Yeah. I had to go once for a bachelorette party.
0: I'm sure yeah, it's just you know it was one, it was fun. Yeah, it was I I, I you know, what I, it's whatever. Uh people want to go have I don't care, like share it's impersonators adults, and yes. whatnot. I you know, I don't know what they do, but
2: Do you believe in love after love?
0: Uh oh, oh so you boy. were one of the share impersonators?
2: <laughs> no, I watched one. Oh, I see. Yeah,
0: I see. Uh well, Berlin is closing after four decades. Oh no. I mean, I look, I'm not happy that any business closes, not when it's essentially extorted out of business. But this is as, uh, one of these stories of the left cannibalizing the left.
2: Eesh, darn right it is.
0: Uh, it's awesome. Uh, apparently, uh, two guys named Jim and Joe have owned the business for more than 30 years, and one of them has stage four cancer. Uh, this is a message they posted on their, uh, on their business site. Um, while supporting Jim during his cancer treatments, we entrusted Berlin's management personnel and legal counsel to lead discussions with the union. The employees recently unionized, unionized, even though there are no full-time employees at Berlin. Well, now there are no employees, period. Yeah, at all. But when yeah. they were operating, no full-time employees. Yeah. That's an, that's important. Uh, to, We... uh. Entrusted Berlin's management, legal personnel, and legal counsel lead discussions with the union representing employees, so on and so forth. So, um, here's what the employees demanded. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they took to the streets. Last week, they were in Lakeview protesting the closure of Berlin at their own hands. Queer liberation, no exploitation. Okay, well, here's how much queer liberation costs. Here's what they wanted. All workers that work one day a week, less than seven and a half hours, be considered full-time. Come on. <laughs> okay, well, one okay, day. Okay. We're done here. If
2: you work one day a week, they want to be considered full-time. Full-time. Okay. All right. This is, I'm then, writing this down, this list of demands. Okay.
0: And full-time... For that one day a week means full benefits, health care, pension, vacation pay, sick pay. All workers that work one day a week to get fully paid health care of $969 a month.
2: How'd they come up with that number?
0: All workers that work one day a week to get pension contributions of $635 a month. A 13 Dollar an hour raise, Ray,
2: oh on top of for what for
0: bartenders that currently make an average of fifty seven dollars an hour.
2: Fifty what?
0: A thirteen dollar a thirteen dollar an hour raise for barbacks that currently make an average of forty seven dollars oh. an hour.
2: Are
0: they okay? I'm, I know some I mean, are they people part are saying of the
2: show this is how are you a barback making forty seven dollars an hour.
0: Anybody interested in maybe trying out the LGBTQ lifestyle to make that kind of cash?
2: Three one two get Berlin six, reopened. Three one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. You can also reach us all morning long on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment.
0: I suppose I could be a co checker. <laughs> a thirteen dollar an hour raise for co check workers that currently make an average of thirty five bucks an hour.
2: Oh my! You've got to. How-
0: and a ten dollar an hour raise for security workers that currently make an average of $22.50 an hour. The proceeds, the proposals, I should say, would cost Berlin about a half a million dollars.
2: So So then what happened? How did it end?
0: Well, here's what uh, Jim and Joe posted on the site. Um, Berlin is not in for, and and for 40 years, has never been a full-time employer. None of Berlin's union employees work more than 27 hours per week. Berlin is only open 25 hours a week. More than half of our employees only work 14 hours a week. Berlin's part-time employees earn a combination of base hourly wage plus tips. And then they go through the average wages that I just related to you, which are pretty handsome, I would say. You know, relative to the work and relative to industry norms, I would would suspect – uh, but anyway, they go on. We always want our employees to be paid well. Our employees work hard to be paid fairly and competitively, and we believe they are, especially when compared to typical Chicago bars and nightclubs. Yeah, it would seem.
2: Yeah, you think?
0: Uh, the proposals that were presented essentially in, uh, range from uh, an overall 58 to to 132% increase in wage expenses. Mm-hmm. And then they go on to... To detail all that I just bullet pointed for you and what the cost would be. Uh, when uh, some of Berlin's unionized workers went on strike and picketed August 4th and 5th, we were shocked. Our entertainers and many of our staff were asked not to perform. As we uh, rent our space, we have high fixed costs. Can't ill afford to lose out a, lose a sold-out weekend in the summer. Continue to operate with such uncertainty surprise the unionized workers went on strike oh boy you thought you were all brothers and sisters did you uh, ta- 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 ta. Uh, they went forward or they just explained making this public comment because uh, they wanted the the community to understand their position right. and the economics of their position the the statement on the Website Was still a hopeful one We hope to keep it open for future generations Well that hope is by the boards now uh, And uh, Unite One Unite Here, Local One mm-hmm. This That's this an organization If you think the teachers unions Are rabid Marxists And they are Boy you should get a look at, A load of Unite Here uh, Here's a Unite Here message uh, November twentieth, Berlin informed us of their intent to permanently close. The workers are heartbroken to hear of Jim and Joe's decision to permanently and abruptly close this historic institution. This is the wrong decision.
2: Oh. <laughs> too bad. As you always say so sad, too bad. Well but but do you understand their perspective? This is wrong because we said so and now reverse it. That's what right. they think's gonna right.
0: happen. We call the shots at your business. Oh
2: yeah, not you.
0: Your business is there for our purposes, not yours. Just like your home is there for our purposes as collateral for somebody else's public sector pension. Just
2: like our children are there for their purposes.
0: Right, so they can have a place to go and pretend that they're doing something productive, like educating and they can them. Recruit. Our union campaign was always centered around creating a Berlin that is better for the workers, better for the artists and performers, better for the patrons, and better for the community. That's still true, of course. You know, if if not for Unite Here Local One, what would Berlin do? They've only existed for 40 years. But Unite Here Local One knows better than the owners of Berlin do and how to make the place hospitable and productive for all concerned parties, right? They know how to best represent all the stakeholders, not just the ones paying dues. Sure. Uh-huh. We made clear to the company our original proposals were not final. Oh, so generous! Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah, and then they end with "We love you." Seriously, Uh-oh. we love you. Did
2: they really? Did they put a heart emoji too? <laughs> they love did. It. Did they really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're eating their own. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six. Type in. Da then a quick comment. So this is
0: just an ex- perhaps a, a one standard deviation more extreme than what most business owners are dealing with in Chicago, and that's why I just love. I I don't love this happened to Berlin, even though I you know not a fan of that sort of business. But look, I'm not. This it was an the,
2: institution. In Chicago. I mean, people would I, come and go. Oh, we're going to go to Berlin,
0: and well, uh, well, so are the Cubs. But I wouldn't be upset if they closed uh, exactly. either. Exactly. But uh, the the but The point here is, this, is look, I respect private property. I respect these guys built a, a legal business and, and, and whatever. This is what it's like. And so for all of those nitwits in the cheap seats, one mandate after the other emanating from City Hall and all these sycophantic trade associations like the Illinois Restaurant Association – uh, sidling up to the powers that be, hoping that they will be eaten last. So again, oh, if you can't, you know, with the recent with the recent PTO and sick time mandate, oh, you know, if you can't give your employees an extra day here and an extra day there, then you should go out of business. Really, that's the attitude. That's the attitude I I got on Twitter from all these people just like unite here local one they know better they should be the shot caller in your business this is what people deserve and i know as an outsider that they deserve this you should run it like that these are the benefits you should be fried these are that you the scheduling mandate the time off mandate the uh Un, the the raising the tipped minimum wage to the standard minimum wage, even if wait staff don't want it, so on and so forth. All of these things that just pile up, but they're always argued in isolation. It's just a couple of days. It's just a couple of dollars. It's just a little bit of a heads up a couple weeks in advance about schedule. It's just this. It's just that. And it's just that Berlin is closed.
2: Got a few text messages. Dan and Amy, a union is a parasite. That doesn't care if it kills its own host.
0: I mean, you know, there are varying degrees here. But, I mean, Unite Here, even though they represent uh, ostensibly private sector workers, hotel, right. uh, hospitality workers mainly.
2: Yeah, they were behind the, you know, those staff at uh, the signature room when they closed abruptly. Yeah. They were supporting then, oh, them gee. out there, had the marches right. with them.
0: Yeah. Another chalk outline courtesy of Unite Here Local One. Um they operate like a public sector union because they're Marxist ideologues, like the teachers' union, like SEIU, like AFSCME. I mean, they don't operate like the trades do. That you know, they that at least most of them somewhat tethered to the real world and the real economics of running a business. Not in Chicago, though. And so, uh, Berlin is the latest casualty. And I just can't wait. I want to hear. I want to hear the chirping from the same people. They deserve to close. If you can't run a business like that with those modest uh, requests and so forth, then somebody will replace you. And that's the free market. Like, they're free marketeers. They're cheering state mandates while characterizing themselves as market-oriented people. This is how up their own asses people in Chicago are, at least those people, that unfortunately represent the prevailing attitude. Bye-bye, Berlin dan and amy chicago's morning answer
1: it's what chicago is talking about it's chicago's morning answer with dan and amy on am 560 the
9: answer hey business owners is your business and money in good hands does your bank invest in your success hi mike gallagher here letting you know that when you need a relationship bank signature bank makes commercial banking personal or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It is uh, Cyber Monday, so uh, this Black... is not.
2: I'm sorry. Excuse me. Did you go shopping on Black Friday?
0: So this oh. is not an exhaustive list of uh, woke companies, but uh, ConsumersResearch.org is a pretty good one of the pretty good sites that uh, provides the institutional memory that is otherwise lacking. Uh, So on Cyber Monday, think about these five companies. They're big ones, and they've got a lot of popular products, so it's a good place to start. Best Buy, Activision, Target, Nordstrom, and Home Depot. Sad to see Home Depot on the list, founded by Ken Langone and Bernie Marcus, but anyway, such as it is. Best Buy. Remember Best Buy exposed earlier this year. We talked about it. Implementing race-based management training program that prioritizes race uh, above other factors like ability still have the same racist training program they're uh they have these arbitrary quotas based on identity Activision Activision uh distributes some of the most popular video games including Call of Duty, Crash Bandicoot, w- World of Warcraft, Tony Hawk
2: I re- I can't remember what they did
0: uh same thing by 2026, Activision is committed to increasing the number of women and non-binary employees by 50%.
2: By Oh, by 50? Well, good luck with that.
0: They also have a diversity space tool embedded in some of their games, which judges video characters and how diverse they are, evaluates characters on their cultural, sexual orientation, gender identity, body type, ability, age, ethnicity. In other words, you're doing... Uh, what the K-12 school systems are doing, trying to get the kids as early as possible to inculcate them in identitarianism. Have you seen how identitarianism is playing itself out on the streets of major cities around the world? Mm-hmm. Target. Well, Target. I mean, we should he's... know about Target. The tuck-friendly bathing suits Ooh, and so forth.
2: Gross.
0: Enough said there. Uh, Nordstrom. Uh, Affiliated with Human Rights Campaign, which is this, you know, radical pro LGBTQ2S+++, created the Welcoming School Program for uh, doing, you know, again, identifying of the gender identity nature. Nordstrom is touting their 100% ally rating from HRC as Human Rights Campaign, as a lot of corporations do. They're a ghastly Marxist organization that uses gender identity uh, the way that Marx used class, the way that other identitarians use race. Home Depot. Yeah, what did they do? Same thing, Human Rights Campaign. They're welcoming schools program to make sure that the schools are these totalitarian re-education camps. Here's a, a curriculum that we've come up with for you, Human Rights Campaign has, and then you have big corporate types like Home Depot and Nordstrom that underwrite it. Isn't that wonderful?
2: 312 promote their allyship. 312 642 5600 turnkey down pro answer line. You could also reach us on the text line 64636 type in DA then a quick comment.
0: So there's many Best Buy Activision Target Nordstrom Home Depot or five big ones but of course there's the list is a lot smaller of the ones that have not succumbed to uh, this cultural rot Um, But it's a start, at least gets you thinking about it, spread the word a little bit. Uh, What is to come in 2024 as we near the year's end? Victor Davis Hanson had a bit of a rant on this. Not a rant, he doesn't rant. Uh, A distillation of it, more accurate. And it's interesting because I, I think some people will be surprised by his optimism for next year. But uh, we'll take Mary Kay before we get to VDH. Mary Kay in Western Springs.
4: Hi. I just wanted to tell you guys, um, Amy, I did go Black Friday shopping. Um, I went to Lulu against my better judgment. And when I mm. got there, oh, God, it was awful, you guys. Why? What happened? Because we, oh, when we got to the mall, um, we went to Oak Brook, we stepped onto the mall and a motion sensor said, In a voice. The mall is closed. Please exit the facility or the area. I'm like, something's going on here, Katie. We got to go home. You know, there, I don't know. I thought maybe there was something, you know, a break in at a Louis Vuitton or something, but there wasn't. Anyway, get into Lulu, go through the process, wait in line. I have one shirt I'm going to buy for myself. And the lady says we took away um, professional discounts. I can't get my 25% off anymore. Um, so they reduce that benefit to us. Um, Amazon, that company, Katie bought an Apple Watch and it's not right and she has to return it. Normally you go to Kohl's or Whole Foods, right, to drop off Amazon returns. Do you do that, Amy? I don't know. I don't shop there much. But now she has to wait to have an Amazon employee come and pick it up at the door. We have to repack it, and an Apple Watch, I guess, because maybe people steal them. I mean, what the hell, you guys? And they care more about diversity training at these companies than they do about the people who shop there. Customer service.
0: Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Uh, All right, let's get to VDH, because he's got a lot to say. Here's his uh, insight into next year and what the left is afraid of. And see if you agree.
10: You know why they're terrified of him? Because they think he's smarter this time and he has just caused a really get angry because of what they did to him. They can write all of the Atlantic Monthly and they can write all of the New Yorker clever glib little essays about Donald Trump was a threat to democracy, or they can write all their little molly ball time essays, how clever and brilliant they were with their cabals and their conspiracies to get rid of him. But deep down inside, they know that if the right ever did that to Barack Obama or Joe Biden, They could have really made something out of the fact that Barack Obama had a hot mic expose where he told the president of Russia, you tell Vladimir that I will be flexible on missile defense. That's the security of the United States of America if he gives me space in my last election. And Putin did do that. That's an impeachable offense if a phone call to Ukraine is. So they don't understand that that the right could have done that to them and they understand now the right probably will do that to them for their own survival and they are scared they're saying if if a mega candidate wins and they win the house and the senate were cooked because they're going to get special prosecutors and they're going to go after the biden family like they've never gone after anybody and they're going to find stuff because we know joe is crooked and then they're going to go after mary garland and they're going to go after Mayorkas, and they're not going to stop and that's why they're scared
0: the left is running scared. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred. Turnkey DAP Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A. Turnkey Text Line. Hmm. I uh, my interest was piqued by that opening, and so I listened to the rest. Um, here's uh, VDH developing this a bit further, explaining how the left has put themselves in this predicament. They say that he says they're in.
10: Hmm. All they had to do was say Donald Trump should not be president, if that's what they believe. And we're not going to do any lawfare. We're not going to try to change the voting laws. We're not going to pack the court. We're not going to let in two states. We're not going to try to abolish the Senate filibuster. We're not going to try to change. The uh, v- voting ID laws. We're just going to play under under the rules that we have. We don't need 419 million dollars by Mark Zuckerberg infused. We don't need Sam Bankman Fried, the crook, giving us 100 million. We're not going to go under the radar with George. So we're just going to show you the American people how we think Donald Trump should not be president, and we'll have a feral and they can't do that. They don't trust themselves. They think, you know what? Anybody in his right mind would close that border right now. Close the border. Anybody in his right mind would recall all of those DAs that have destroyed these major cities. Anybody in his right mind would not beg the Saudis or the Venezuelans are the russians are the iranians to pump oil on the eve of a midterm or drain this strategic petroleum when you have so much natural gas and oil I and mean, nobody in their right mind would do that and nobody in their right mind would ever just pull out of afghanistan without warning just so joe biden can say that on the 20th anniversary of 9 11 or the original october Uh, invasion of afghan i'm the president that got us out nobody would do that and nobody would print six trillion dollars when there's a pent-up demand post-covid lockdown and there's a supply chain disruption and throw that money without any audit or examination of who got it and why and how it was spent but to inflate the economy and ruin it nobody would do that and so they know that, and they know that they can't take that record to the American people.
0: Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey Pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey Pro Tax line. Nobody would do all the things that VDH nicely that ticked off that they did, because they don't trust themselves, because they can't. And then they don't trust themselves, so they do these things that they can't take to the American people and run on. I don't know about that.
2: Well, do you think this is wishful thinking, or is this?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm
2: whimsical, like he's a well thought man and well spoken man. I oh, know.
0: I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm well aware. Yeah. Um, I have great uh, great respect, respect for, for VDH, um, but. I'm not following the logic there. They wouldn't do it, but they did. All those things. And they did so because they're afraid of the consequences of doing the things they did. That threat is um, tenuous seems to me I think they're doing the things that nobody would do because they have well number one because there's a certain foundational ideology and uh, for those that are not ideologues they're useful idiots, they're going along with the ideologues and I think they think this is the way to subordinate for the purposes of lording over the American people and transforming, a word that's used often by them, from AOC's chief of staff to Gavin Newsom, transforming America. All of this is part of the transformation they desire for America. So they're running scared about their plan that they're executing. Mm. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey pro answer line six four six three six DA turnkey pro text line and again to give VDH the benefit of the doubt here, they're, um they offer no apologies because why would they? To apologize is to uh, admit wrongdoing, to admit failure. But if it's all part of the plan, then it's going swimmingly. But, uh, again... Trying to follow VDH's argument here.
10: Every time they give these monstrous lies, there's no apologies. They just and they, and why should they? Because in their way, they're just narratives. They're postmodern Foucauldian Lacan Derrida Narada, narratives. Okay. They were useful, so that's what they look at. Well, they were useful at the time because when we went through the Mueller investigation, when we went through the laptop, we crippled Donald Trump, and therefore we were able to stop him. We had anonymous. Anonymous. He was burrowed deep into the Homeland Security. He was a minor official, but we said he was one of the major operatives in the Trump administration. We lied. And then we printed his op-ed because it did what it was supposed to do. It weakened this right-wing agenda, so they think. And we got Admiral McRaven, and he came in and wrote an op-ed and said Trump should leave the sooner the better. And then we got all of the four stars, McCaffrey, McChrystal, all of them to say that was Hitler, that he was Mussolini, that he was a liar, that he was danger. We got Mark Milley to call the Chinese. We did all of this. And we, yes, we do not want this to be done to us. If right now a retired four-star general says that Joe Biden is senile or he's dangerous or the Afghanistan is a disaster and he should be removed sooner or later, or his weaponization of the DOJ or the FBI is Mussolini-like, or his hounding of individual people at school boards, or the way he conducted the mar lago raid is remnant of, it's Nazi-like. And I'm just quoting from what they've said. You know what's going to happen to those people? You're going to get Merrick Garland to call up the Pentagon, and they're all going to be slapped with a Code 88 uniform code of military justice and they're going to be court martialed for disparaging the commander in chief. Trust me, they would in two seconds, and that's not gonna happen. First they're not gonna say anything because they're not equally going to apply their standards of correct right. behavior on the part of the and second all, they're gonna say something with Donald Trump because they know that, that the media and the Pentagon are not going to do anything to them. now. Oh man, they would they would destroy them if they ever criticize the commander in chief. They would go after him like you wouldn't believe. And they know that.
2: Hmm. I mean, when Trump had a chance to go after Hillary Clinton, he didn't do it.
0: So you have all this institutional power on the left that VDH is detailing. And yet they're running scared. I mean, I would concede the point that they're a bit afraid of Trump because he's a wild card. So were he to get back in, then their lives would be less enjoyable than they are now. I can see that, but I don't think that they're doing the things they're doing because they're afraid. I think they think this is the plan to execute, continue executing, not only to stave off elimination in 2024, but the larger goal, the longer-term goal for the longer-term thinkers among them, which is that transformation I spoke of. So I I just I can't they they don't trust themselves. They trust themselves. They don't trust the people they want to rule. Oh, I see. And I don't that's my uh difference of opinion with VDH here. Got a the lot. Other, the, th- oh yes. Yeah, the ahead. other thing he go he goes on to essentially, I mean again, I I you know, this is uh, from a respectful place, of course, but he goes on to essentially argue that they know exactly what they're doing. They understand how to wire this up for their benefit, to leverage all the cultural, civic, and governmental power at their disposal. Take a listen.
10: They understand deterrence. They are saying to the American people, we are SOBs. We're capable of everything and anything. Now, which side do you want to be on? Because if you're on our side, you can do what Hunter Biden is. There's no consequences. If you want to say that the voting machines are crooked, like Jill Stein, go ahead. She did it in 2016. If you want to be Barbara Boxer and 32 Democrats and say, you know what? We're not going to certify the Ohio count and hold up the whole election. We're going to try to do that. Don't worry. They got it. They did it in 2004. If you're Al Gore and the registrar and the attorney general says, well, the votes have been counted and they have been certified in Florida. Oh, no, we're going to sue. We're going to sue and hold up the entire election for a month. And so you can do all of that as long as you're on our side. But if you don't do that and you want to go on the other side, then you're going to be in big trouble. And that's, that's the message that they're trying to say. That's what we're really getting down to. Join the winning side. It's sort of like in the Soviet Union. If you're part of the nomenclature and you join the party, you're exempt. If you're not, well, you're on your own they understand if you want to be, get tenure and you want to be promoted and you want to be liked, you just parrot the majority cause. If it paid better, they'd be fascist.
0: Who says they're not? Uh, but So I take his point, but um, right, so they understand deterrence and implicitly he's saying the right does not. And I, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that the right conservatives may understand deterrence when it comes to dealing with the Soviet empire or the Chinese communist party, but they don't seem to understand it when it comes to dealing with, uh, with domestic politics.
2: Lots of text messages on this, uh, too many to even read, but here's one. VDH, Dan and Amy is exactly correct. The Marxist left will pull out all the stops. They know when we get back in power, they're cooked. And others think that that's not going to happen.
0: George and Naperville, you're in Chicago's yeah, main answer.
2: Yeah, Dan, they're making it sound like the second coming of Donald Trump would be like an Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger movie. I'll, I'll be, be back. back. Okay. Right, okay. yes.
2: I'm surprised he hasn't used that line yet.
0: Well, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling with it. I, I'm so uh, unaccustomed to having a difference of opinion with VDH. But, I mean, if he's saying, like, their house is uh, built on a foundation of sand or they are men and women with feet of clay, okay, but that's not the same thing as saying that they're running scared because of it. I mean, he makes the nomenclatura comparison to the old Soviets. I don't think that's... uh, an improper comparison, but then play that out. You, th- you think they thought that uh, they were going to be relegated to the ash heap of history? I don't think that's what they thought. I don't think that they were executing what they thought was the road mapped or the, the, the plan that would uh, bring about their demise politically.
2: Text message, Dan and Amy, Republicans are scared. Biden will win in a blowout and too bad, so sad. Supreme Court will be changed. They kill people. And you think they're scared?
0: No, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't agree with the premise that. And I'm not saying that VDH is wrong about um, the opportunity here um, that, you know, they thought they perhaps had put Trump down and Trump as the proxy for, you know, the revolt like you saw in Argentina, that they thought they had sent a message by taking him out and now putting him on trial, don't even think about it. So to that point about go with the majority opinion, go with what's quote-unquote popular, we're telling you what's popular, be a part of the party, I agree with that. Um, And and that that eliminates the revolt. I don't think that's necessarily true. But the Republican Party is complicated. If you read Michael Anton's recent piece over at the American Mind, which is very good, I think he makes some really good points. Michael Anton, who famously penned the Flight 93 election piece back seven years ago in advance of Trump's victory. That there's a lot of Republicans, even erstwhile conservatives, who are sort of saying one thing but acting like everything's fine. And it leads one to wonder, as Anton does, well, if everything's more or less fine and it just requires some tinkering on the margins, then... You either don't appreciate what you're saying or you don't believe what you're saying. But either way, if you do believe that we're teetering on the precipice and you have a party in power where the majority thinks everything is more or less fine and it's just sort of the usual stuff that we need to do, marginal tax rates and slow the growth of spending and the the tinkering, as I said, then – you're not going to get the reckoning that BDH is talking about even in victory.
1: It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's morning answer with Dan and Amy on AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, So on uh, the night of Thanksgiving. Rioting, looting, violence broke out on the streets of Dublin, Ireland, that is. This was after a knife attack in which a man reportedly in his 50s started stabbing uh, kids and their adult attendants outside of a primary school, grade school in Ireland. Three kids were stabbed, two adults, Um. Several are reportedly in critical condition last I saw and um, and so this gave way to the rioting, which was characterized by the police and the prime minister as instigated by some faction of right wingers because the uh, assailant is allegedly somebody who came to Ireland. And had lived there for a couple of decades. I don't know if he is an Irish citizen or not. But the flip side is one of the individuals who intervened to stop the attack. Is an immigrant from Brazil who is a delivery driver. So was it uh, about the nature of the attack and the attacker or is there something more profound going on in ireland and this sort of is a tinderbox and this was the match by the way in no way is that intended to justify because we never do any sort of violence at looting and the uh, the violence that you probably saw online and on news reports i mean you know what does looting have to do with a public policy disagreement nothing doesn't work in chicago for black lives matter it doesn't work in dublin i don't care what the topic is so that's just sort of a statement of first principles but anyway that doesn't absolve this prime minister we've mentioned him before but now that he's bubbled up to the surface again this is the kind of prime minister ireland has he'd be very uh comfortable in with America. the identity <laughs> well with the identitarians in chicago at yeah. least including all of the irish who uh, uh irish politicians who preceded the Brandon Johnsons and the, the Laurie Lightfoot's and the Rahm Emanuel's who laid the seeds for Chicago's destruction, lest we forget. Now I see where they get it, apparently. This is uh, Irish Prime Minister Leo Ver, uh, Veradiker talking about uh, how the government in Ireland is too white. Just to give you a little flavor for this dude.
11: Um, one thing I strongly agree with the deputy on is the need to target, set a target to have a, a number of people from ethnic minorities in areas of the public service. We have a health service that's very diverse, although less so as you go up towards the senior positions, Uh, not so much in the Gardaí, not so much in the Defence Forces, not so much in the education sector, as the Deputy mentioned, not at all in the civil service, which is very white, uh, including the Department of Equality, for example, uh, and that actually needs to change. Um, So we need to have, I think, a target for people who come from ethnic minority backgrounds, uh, but also... Uh, dedicated recruitment campaigns to encourage people because we do need uh, a generation of young people growing up in ireland who are people of color to see black and brown school principals judges king carla perhaps in the future um who knows uh, visibility uh, and opportunity is really important
0: and there's nothing more i like than a honky talking about how the this <laughs> right. this this government he's a part of or this business he's a part of is too honky so you know feel free to lead by example there leo uh, here's what Prime Minister Leo had to say about the rioting.
11: To all those cowardly champions of Ireland who took to the streets of Dublin last night, let me say one thing. Ask your sisters, ask your friends, ask everyone you know what they fear most on our streets. They're afraid of you, afraid of your anger and your rage, afraid of your violence, your hate and how you blame others for your problems. As a government, we will be relentless in protecting our citizens and defending our people. The Guardian will be on the streets in large numbers and will do whatever it takes to fight back waves of ignorance and criminality. The Minister for Justice will coordinate with the Commissioner to ensure we never witness such terrible scenes as the 23rd of November 2023 ever again.
0: What about the stabbing of those kids?
2: Yeah, exactly. And we're learning this morning that Irish police are investigating Conor McGregor's tweets about the Dublin riots.
0: Right, because that's they're, what's, And
2: they're investigating the wrong thing right now.
0: Well, that's what's really central. I mean, again, you know, unlike uh, in the U.S., we've seen this in the U.K. too. You don't have the same First Amendment protections. And mm-hmm. Conor McGregor um, basically tweeted out a, a response to the police chief who, again, said this is fr- a fringe, right wing, so on and so forth. And... Um, uh he just said the the absolute picture of weak and feeble the most divisive of all is the weak man one of the most horrific crimes this nation has ever occurred uh, this nation ever seen has occurred we do not care anymore what you said what you what you sad cases have got to say in a war you are nothing we are not backing down we are only warming up there'll be no backing down until real change is implemented for the safety of our nation We're not losing any more of our women and children to sick and twisted people who should not even be in Ireland in the first place. Mm. Call what you want. We don't care. May God help us all. Ireland for victory. And then he later qualified that say he's not condoning the rioting and the looting that occurred, but he's um, making more of a statement about um, protecting the people of Ireland like those kids and adults that were stabbed. Okay. Well, uh, interesting times. Uh, For more on this, please put be joined by John Waters who's an Irish thinker talker and writer you can uh, get his musings at his substack which is entitled Unchained John Waters thanks for joining us appreciate it
12: hi hi John good morning good morning. morning
0: um so um you know give us give us a handle on uh what you believe to be the reality on the ground there in in Dublin and these uh, seeming um uh you know, the, the the seeming politics around uh, immigration coming to the fore yeah. as, uh, in, uh, in the backdrop of this attack.
12: Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say, uh, Dan, is that uh, you got to remember, Ireland is an island of lies now, you know, the official lies. So hmm. virtually nothing that comes out of the mouth of a politician or indeed a journalist, to be honest, in Ireland now can be believed or taken at face value. Until We're familiar with the concept. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so th- and there's a, a war of, of, of ideas and words and, and of a very a spiritual war, you could say, going on in Ireland. And, and, and migration, mass migration is a part of it. Again, we have to distinguish the issue as they, they continually try to present the issue as being about migration. Migration always happened. What they're doing is imposing huge numbers of migrants on Ireland really vastly, the equivalent of about 10 million in the past year in in America, in the United States. Mm -hmm. Huge number, nearly 150,000 people were brought in at the dead of night without papers, without vetting, without identification even in many cases and imposed in hundreds upon tiny hamlets and villages all over Ireland. And the communities of those those, uh, towns and villages were told, you don't have any right to object. You don't have any right to decide who comes into your community and therefore, by implication, you don't have any right to have these people vetted on your behalf before they come in. Now, that's the background. Now, of course, the individual who is said, and we have to be somewhat vague about uh, what we say about this, because no uh, charges have been leveled yet against an individual, but it was a person allegedly who was in this country for quite some time. The backstory, again, allegedly, is that he was already had already been ordered to be deported. Deported, but the Irish policy of, of deportation is: sell, they tell you leave the country, and then that's the end of the process. Uh, so he didn't leave the country, and then miraculously, he became a citizen a couple of years later. How that works, I don't know. I can't help you there, now. But mm. this is kind of you see at the background into this. Fundamentally, is that for 30 years now, like 30 years ago, and and I don't promote this as a virtue because, you know, it is what it is. 30 30 years ago, Ireland was predominantly Irish, 95 percent. And of those, you know, probably 99 percent, what is called white. But white is an ideological category which has no place in Irish history. We have no history of racial conflict. We shouldn't be fighting wars on our soil that belong in America or South Africa. This is Ireland. We don't have to have diversity uh, 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 quotas in Ireland because we are an island of Irish people. And people are welcome to come here. And they have come here when they have reason to be here for work or, or play or whatever, have been made welcome. But what is happening now is really a replantation of Ireland. It is quite obvious because, you know, the, the, the what's happening is quite extraordinary. Hundreds of, of migrants coming into Ireland, all male, all young males, coming in in busloads into towns where they hang around the street corners leching after women and indeed children, teenagers. So... The Irish people have said, "Look, can we have a discussion about this?" And they say, "No. If you want to discuss this, this means you're a racist." Okay, so John, tell right? us what
2: happened and how the victims are doing.
12: Well, the, the, as far we don't know, the information is very, very sparse. Hmm. They haven't released any names of the victims except the name of a woman of the woman carer. I don't know, uh, 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 she was some kind of minder from the school. It's not It's not clear because normally she might be a teacher. I don't know. That's not clear. It hasn't been specified. The three, we understand that one of the, the three children who were stabbed, uh, a, a girl, is in a very serious condition in hospital. We also gather that the woman is in a serious condition in hospital. That's all we know. So You mentioned so. that there was a... Yeah, so, you mentioned. But again, to tell you about the lie, sorry. Can I just say this one? You mentioned yeah. about the Brazilian. This is the story. You see, this is what happens. A spin goes out in the beginning that distorts the meaning of everything. The first, per- the person who actually uh, 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 intervened most vociferously in the beginning was an Irishman. The Brazilian okay. threw his helmet at the assailant and hit him on the head. Uh, the, the, the assailant, the, the, the person now is allegedly in a coma. I don't know if it's from the helmet or not. But again, all of this is misinformation. These people have made a crime of disinformation, which, by which they mean anybody who says anything that causes the Irish people to lose faith in their government, true or false of it. That's disinformation. But what, these people issue nothing but disinformation from morning till night.
0: So, so then give me your characterization of the response with the rioting and they uh, which you know we saw obviously and looting yes. and then the characterization uh, by the government as uh you know lunatic right wing fringe
12: okay well as regards to the 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 rioting and so on I I wasn't there so I can only I suppose like, apply a model that I have observed over the last 4 years since the the lockdowns began where people were to the streets in the past to protest and Immediately, we saw that these marches and protests were infiltrated by, you know, roughhouse interlopers, Asian provocateurs, clearly, Antifa, clearly under the tutelage and supervision of the police in order to create the impression that these were violent extremists who were trying to bring down the government, this kind of thing. Now, this has all the hallmarks of this. Uh, there is actually a video, video in, in circulation showing police riot squad breaking windows in shops mm. on Thursday night. This kind of thing. That would not surprise me. I have, we have seen situations here where there was clear felon setting, attempted felon setting of people. Anti-vaxxers, for example, two years ago when a Masonic Hall uh, had a fire on New Year's Eve. And they tried to insinuate that this was an anti-vaxxer. When I outed the story and produced evidence that this was complete lies, it just disappeared. You see, this is unprecedented. Dan. We have, I am have, I have 68 years of age. I've lived in this country all my life. I have been oh, nearly 40 years a journalist. I am absolutely awestruck and sickened every day of my life to see what is happening under this creep for Atkar. He is the most appalling specimen. He is in the Trudeau category of, of appalling specimens mm. in modern Irish or, uh, leadership terms in the world. He is a WHO uh, uh, member, or sorry, a WEF member, uh, World Economic Forum. He is kicked by Klaus Schwab and these guys. These people no longer represent the people that they... That voted them into office allegedly because he was never really, he never received a mandate of his own, this guy. He took over from his pre, from the predecessor into Kenny and uh, he cobbled together a coalition in 2020 of elements that had sworn on Bibles they would never coalesce with each other. You know, nothing they say is believable. They are the great, they are just non-stop industrial liars. Do you so, see... Now, now you, the far, well, the far well, right well, thing well, is the greatest well, lie, the greatest, sorry though. The far right thing you did ask me about that. Yeah, the far right thing is another great lie. There is no far right in Ireland. They ju- the, the only in- existence of the far right is in the imaginations of politicians, journalists, and the police commissioner, Drew Harris, who you said, as you said, is a weakling, a pathetic creature who just issues uh, threats and menaces and lies at every opportunity. Uh, this country, Ireland, is finished unless we can somehow get rid of these people. They are the most appalling. I cannot imagine how they got in. How did these people pass by the, 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 under the gaze of the Irish people, who were usually pretty well attuned politically and able to read people, but they, they disguised themselves well, and particularly for Adker. You mentioned, by the way, he's not he's not a hunky, as you said. I'm sorry. He's actually he has Indian blood. He's his his father yeah. was Indian so,
0: so so that was Elizabeth boring. Warren. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, what, I what is, get you. Uh, I, we got we got to leave it there. John Waters, Irish thinker, talker, writer, uh, his Substack, Unchanged. John Waters. John Waters, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
12: Thanks very much. Thank you. Dan. Thank Bye.
2: you. And, and just so people know, the prime minister of Ireland, he tweeted out, you know, the nine-year-old girl, Emily Hand, was released. He referred to her as being lost, and now she's found. Uh, thanks so much to John, and he joined us on our Pro answer line.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, Pentagon failed its annual audit for the sixth year in a row. Six years and going strong.
2: Congratulations.
0: Out of 29 individual sub audits of the Defense Department, seven passed this year, the same as last year. Seven out of 29. 1,600 auditors combed through DOD's $3.8 trillion in assets and $4 trillion in liabilities, conducting some 700 site visits. They found that half of DOD's assets cannot be accounted for. Uh,
2: Normally people lose their jobs when this happens, repeatedly.
0: $3.8 trillion in assets, half of which cannot be accounted for, according to the auditors. Hmm. Uh, Okay. Uh, Now, uh, juxtapose that to this. This is a uh, U.S. Army enlisted who is... uh, Leaving. He was with the 82nd Airborne for the last four years, including during the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. And here's what he said about uh, where he is with respect to the armed services as he departs.
13: Two years ago, my unit deployed to Afghanistan for the Afghanistan withdrawal. We spent a few weeks over there. It was hectic, it was chaotic, it was disgusting. And it made me very disappointed in our government. Today, I'm reminded of how disappointed I am in our government. Go to turn in my gear. They want to charge me 500 to to $1,000 for gear that I was ordered to leave in Afghanistan two years ago. Because as the last two birds were sitting on the tarmac, ready to leave, there wasn't any room for extra gear or extra weight. Therefore, we were told to leave it. Some lower enlisted dudes, including myself, were like, no, this stuff is expensive. I'm not leaving this. I'm gonna get charged for this when it comes time to leave. Don't worry, we're gonna catch you on the back end. You know, we'll flipple it. No. It's time to get out of the army and they just wanna they wanna charge you for, for that. Meanwhile, we can continue to give millions of dollars to the Taliban. We can give billions of dollars to Ukraine. We can give billions of dollars to student debt relief. We can give a bunch of stupid stimulus checks. We can cut those to the American people. But we can't cover $500 to $1,000 for a dude that left gear in Afghanistan. For a dude that left gear in a place that you put me to begin with. The government is so stinking backwards right now, man. This administration's last priority is the American people. And, and inside of the American people, their last priority is their soldiers, their Marines, their airmen, their, their, their Navy. So messed up, man. I thought today was going to be bittersweet getting out. But I'm just so happy to separate. I'm very, very excited to stop serving my government and just getting started serving my country.
10: Hmm.
0: Important distinction. Well, you know, that $500,000, bucks that will help when they're trying to reconcile the books with that $1.7 trillion in assets they can't seem to find. Uh, honestly, uh, it, you know, world. It, people um, are, a lot of people are fed up. I don't know how many. We're going to find out, though. Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer. Don't know how much he had to pay to get out. Uh, top Pentagon official as well. He's visiting felt, the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve Bucci, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
5: No, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Uh, I I, think I doubt it's you're su- be
5: a tough morning discussion, though.
0: Well, yeah, there's a lot to discuss. I I doubt you're surprised by the frustration expressed by that uh, that U.S. Army uh, enlisted.
5: No, I am not surprised at all. Uh, it, if you want to go to the, the audit thing first, you know, I was in the Pentagon, uh, for quite a few years and every year the secretary of defense looked at all of the leadership and said, guys, we need to do an audit. We're, we're like a business. We should be able to give an account for everything we have and everything we've spent and every year. All of the other leadership in the Pentagon, both uniformed and civilian, massively pushed back and said, boss, you know, it's not really important. Uh, We don't need to do this. You know, we're fighting two wars. We just need to push that off. And unfortunately, they did. They were able to convince him. uh, And as a result, they still can't pass an audit. And I'm with you guys. If, If this were a business, You know, the shareholders would be kicking the the leadership of the organization out. Uh, And you know what? We're the shareholders as the American people. Congress is supposed to be our representatives as shareholders. And they're not doing anything because they're part of the same broken system. Uh, Taking it down to the tactical level of this young man that was speaking there. I understand the frustration. I've I've turned in equipment that I never took out of the packaging because I didn't use it. And when I went to turn it in, I had some young enlisted guy look at me and say, well, sir, I'm sorry, you got to clean this. And I said, it's the bag is still sealed. What do you mean? I got to clean it. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of stupid in an organization as big and complex as the military, but this one in particular, when soldiers were ordered to leave equipment, there needs to be a memorandum of record done when they get back to put in their supply files and say, on this date, captain so-and-so ordered private Smith, private Jones and private Brown to leave these pieces of equipment, strike those from their record. Uh, and you know, or charge the captain who ordered them to leave it. You could do it either way. But, uh, to try now and collect that from the, the young enlisted guys as they're getting out is horrible. I would be talking to my congressman immediately uh, and, and saying, this is wrong, and I need some support. But that, that young man should not be charged that money uh, in any way, shape, or form. It, 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 he's right. That part of it is totally backwards.
0: Mm. Well, and not not uh, particularly good when recruitment is down to have videos like that circulating, which you know, which speaks to more than just the 500 bucks or 1000 bucks he's going to be charged, which is insane and infuriating, but but beside the point. I mean, he's really talking, as you heard him, uh more globally about how enlisted are at least some feel they're being treated and or prioritized uh as compared to um well, I mean, as compared to uh, what they were sold when they enlisted, I, it's just the, the disconnect between serving your government and serving your country. And if and if a soldier is making that distinction, you can you can bet a lot of his compatriots are, too.
5: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, we if this stuff always shifts when you go from fighting a war where everybody's really rah-rah, got to support the troops, let's do everything for them, too okay, the war's over, back to normal, let's uh, start doing all of the insane and inane uh, policies that we had before. Uh, And in this case, you have an administration who doesn't prioritize the military, either their readiness or their their ability to fight. They're more concerned that the military get everybody's pronouns right right rather than be able to fight. And uh, as a result, we have adversaries around the world that have got to be just chuckling, watching us and watching our, particularly our civilian leadership, but sadly our uniform leadership too, who are not focused on the right things. Well, let's go
0: to the, let's go to the commander in chief, uh, and go from the ridiculous to the more ridiculous. Uh, here's what uh, Joe Biden had to say. President Biden had to say over the holiday about the. Uh, Hamas attack on October 7th, he's had enough time to think about it now, and he knows why they attacked.
3: I cannot prove what I'm about to say, but I believe one of the reasons why Hamas struck when they did was they knew that I was working very closely with the Saudis and others in the region to bring peace to the region by having recognition of Israel and Israel's right to exist.
0: And a railroad from Riyadh to, uh, through the Middle East to Europe, That's that's why Hamas attacked, he thinks.
9: You know,
5: I mean, this is a guy that in his campaign and since then have vilified the Saudis, have said they are like the worst guys in the world. That's why he leans towards Iran, because he doesn't like the Saudis, because they were really mean and and hurt. That poor man, Mr. Kajogi, who I love, is always characterized as a journalist. He wrote two op-eds for The Washington Post. And he was an arms dealer and a paid intelligence agent of the Qataris, uh, who are basically enemies of the Saudis. Uh, but because they did that, I mean, God help us, we could never touch anybody who's painted themselves journalists. Uh, even though he was an enemy spy uh, and a traitor to his own country. But then for Joe to say that he's working for peace, he is not wanted to work with Netanyahu. He has pushed back on everything that Israel has done, not just him, but everybody he's appointed, including people who were paid employees of the Iranian government working in both the State Department and the Department of Defense, and now he thinks Hamas is worried about meetings he's having, and that's why they attack people? You talk about a narcissistic personality. This guy is really over the edge. He thinks the world revolves around him and what he does, and most of the world is just going, man, I hope Biden gets elected again, because we're we're having a good time when he's in charge.
2: Well, I mean, what do you think of his job so far, though? Because I don't know what team he's on, but over the weekend, you know, he suggested that now he's working to extend the ceasefire, and he said... Blankly, he doesn't know the list. He doesn't know who's on the list. And then he went out ch- Christmas shopping. So where, where is his heart in all of this? Because I don't feel like it's not there.
5: No, it, it's not. It, he is reading the cue cards that he's handed by his handlers. Uh, he is, you know, at least when Woodrow Wilson was loony, they put him in a bed and his wife made the decisions. They just didn't tell anybody. Joe Biden, he thinks he's really in charge. And it's clear he's not. It's clear his staff, and I'm not, to be honest with you, what's really scary is I don't know which ones are really the people making the decisions, but it's clearly not him. He is unable to do this job. I think he was unable to do it since his inauguration. He's darn sure been unable to do it of late. And, and it's, it's sad to me as an American that our commander-in-chief is not capable of, of doing the job that uh, he was elected to do, at least by half the country.
0: What was his uh, what do you think um, the Biden administration's role was in the hostage deal that was struck and that was uh, affected over the weekend? Was was this was this between Israel and Qatar with uh, America sort of sitting second chair or or was there a do you think an instrumental role that America played in cutting this deal?
5: I think America's role was to push Israel because we think we need to do that. I think that was kind of loony. Uh, I think the, the hostage hostage safety is a paramount concern for Israel and for us, though. Last time I checked, no Americans have been released yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think America is the prime mover in this. Uh, I I think it is Israel making a decision that they care enough about their citizens and even the people who are American citizens who live in their country to try and get those people out. But they're they rightfully are reserving the right to go in there and continue hammering once it looks like, you know, we're not going to get any more juice out of the tomato to get any more hostages out. Uh, But. No, Biden is not a key to this. That's a lie. Blinken is not even a key to this, though he's probably more important than Biden. Uh, It's just, it's ludicrous that they are now taking credit for this stuff and taking credit for improved relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Did they do the Abraham Accords, or was that done already before Biden was elected?
0: I want to ask you about a couple of other things. One, uh, we talked to uh, – we talked about, I should say, on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, this uh, former air marshal who spoke to Fox News about uh, what air marshals are doing right now, which is they're doing one of two things, according to her, U.S. air marshals. They're either at the border acting as administrative aides to border security, passing out water and the things and, and things like that, or they're um, – Part of the Open Skies Program or no, excuse me, Quiet Skies Program, Quiet Skies Program that is surveilling individuals who were in the D.C. metro area on January 6th, surveilling them still three years later, tracking their movements uh, through flight, uh, even though they have not been charged. These Americans have not been charged with any crimes. And we spoke with one actually Um, on Wednesday from the Chicagoland area, do do you know anything about that? Is that your understanding that that is what U.S. air marshals are doing?
5: Uh, I was not aware of that until I heard that conversation. Uh, It doesn't surprise me, uh, you know, when the the FBI has admitted it turned away from uh, investigations into child pornography and child abuse. uh, You know, like interstate. Pornography and child abuse. So it falls in their area uh, to investigate everybody who happened to be somewhere in the Washington D.C. zip code on January sixth of, of two thousand twenty-one. Uh, it just—it's uh, ridiculous to me that we have done this. That that a small group of congressmen and the Department of Justice have decided that the crimes committed or are- Crimes committed on January sixth are somehow the most heinous crimes that have ever been committed in American history, and need to get every bit of the law enforcement structure of America focused on them. To the exception and and uh, of everything else, that's ridiculous. You know, if if, if people if people broke the law, fine, investigate them charge them, give them a trial, and it should be done fast, and they should be treated no worse than any other criminals out there. But that's a pretty small group of people in my mind, not the massive numbers, and definitely doesn't warrant continued surveillance because they happened to be in Washington that day.
0: Well, here's another surveillance program that maybe people who are unconcerned about January 6th defendants or uh, not even defendants, those being surveilled for no particular reason, Uh, at least legitimate reason. Maybe they'll be more interested in this. This, uh, you know, harkens back to James Clapper lying to Congress about the metadata collection. A uh, surveillance program tracks more than a trillion domestic phone records within the United States each year. This is according to a letter sent by Democrat Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon to the Department of Justice. The surveillance program known as Data Analytical Services has for more than a decade allowed federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies to mine the details of Americans' calls, analyzing phone records of countless people who are not suspected of any crime, including victims. Um, this is done in coordination with AT&T. Do you know anything about this?
5: Uh, I don't know about that specific program. I know you know, we found out when Edward Snowden released all of his stuff that uh, the – programs that everybody in government thought were good to go and uh, were okay because they had the um, FISA court overseeing them, that that would be sufficient. We found out that, one, the FBI has totally bent the FISA court system
6: uh, and,
5: and lied to them. And that when it got out in the press, the American people pretty much uniformly said not no, but heck no. This is way too intrusive. And that was back during the beginning of the, the Obama administration when all that came out. And all that was supposed to have been rolled back. To find out now that there's still another program as yet ongoing and every bit as intrusive as any of the others, just with a different name, that's wrong. That That is deliberately ignoring the very uh, open and, and strong signals that the American public gave that that is not what America wants. They do not feel that's legitimate, and I think they're right.
0: Who can stop the surveillance state? Perhaps the answer is no one at this point, it would seem.
5: Uh, it, it, they, you know, when they control all that stuff, uh, it's kind of hard to uh, find all the things they're hiding. So, yeah, it, it's... Congress has to have a bigger, more active role. They have to push on the Justice Department and the intelligence community. Uh, the problem is, you got major parts of Congress. You know, the the House—it's just—it's too close to really be an effective club against this stuff. And the Senate doesn't seem to be interested. They're like—they think they're the House of Lords, and uh, that they—they're in bed with the administration. So, they're not going to push at all on those uh, executive branch agencies, which is where the problem now lies.
0: Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as Army Special Forces and top Pentagon official, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve Bucci, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
5: Thanks for having me. You guys have a great week.
2: You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. How to be uh, media literate. How to properly consume news, separate fact from misinformation and disinformation. That's what state governments from New York to Illinois are for. We have a media literacy mandate here in Illinois, thanks to Governor Jelly Belly and our betters in Springfield. They do in New York State as well, thanks to Kathy Hochul and uh, New York State's betters in Albany. Here was uh, the governor explaining this exciting development of media literacy, setting up, uh, you know, like we set up during COVID, uh, Vivek Murthy's Ministry of Truth in the uh, Biden administration.
2: Today I'm directing the Director of Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services to develop media literacy tools for K-12 through in our public schools. This will teach students and even teachers to help understand How to spot conspiracy theories and misinformation, disinformation, and online hate. Start talking about what we're seeing out there. Give the teachers the tools they need to help these conversations in school. And by teaching younger New Yorkers about how to discern between digital fact and digital fiction, we can better inoculate them from hatred and the spread of it and help prepare them for a very fast-moving and often confusing world.
0: There's no question. Uh, The government is great at uh, erasing hate, providing clarity, and instructing on what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. I mean, that's what the government's there for, right? Oh, man. Oh, Oh boy. boy. Joaquin Book is a writer, researcher, and editor on all things money, finance, and financial history. Uh, he's uh, written on this topic as well, how to rationally consume news, which you want to talk to him about, as well as perhaps a couple of other things. I don't know, uh, Joachim, thanks for joining us. But I think uh, Governor Hochul covered it, didn't she?
7: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I hope the kids uh, uh, take the message to heart and apply it to her message itself.
0: Yes, right. Well, obviously, she's an oracle of all that is true and beautiful and good, as is every politician. So they're beyond reproach. It's uh, people yeah. like me and, you know, others who diverge from the established orthodoxy of the politicians that I think she's speaking about.
7: Yeah, it might be, it might be. Um, but I always like, <laughs> this, is, this is a good example where I can actually say and proudly say that I don't know who she is. I don't know what this policy is about. And it couldn't affect my life less. You know, And usually that would be kind of an awkward thing to admit, you know, but the topic here is that I'm trying to sort of argue that news is mostly noise and you should probably quit it, like get rid of it from your, uh, from your life.
0: Well, I want to Uh, let you develop that, but, but it does matter when the government is instituting curricula along these lines in K through 12 government schools where 90% of the students are matriculate and doing so in states like New York and Illinois. I mean, this is to me, another tool of, Indoctrination, and so even if you don't believe that, I think it's probably prudent to be a bit circumspect about the motives of the politicians.
7: Okay, okay, but you're assuming that. all of a sudden, schools and school teachers are good at what they do. They, they, you haven't taught the kids anything. You haven't learned any math. They can't spell. And all of a sudden, they're going to be experts at you know, this disinformation thing. No, this is just going to be some other point of stuff to do. And the kids just yawn and look at their iPhones. So, you know, like they're not going to... like. It, it sounds scary. You're right. And we should be vigilant about this kind of stuff. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, homeschooling is amazing. Uh, you have some control over what your, your kids actually learn. But... Um, the, the, the safe fallback idea here is that yeah, kids don't really learn that much at school. So even like they don't learn the good stuff, but they also don't, you know, aren't that harmed by the bad stuff. <laughs> mm.
0: That's the good news. Kids aren't learning in school. That's what we have to hang our hats on. Yeah. That's that's uh, comforting. <laughs> um, all right. So so I mean, give us give us then now develop your perspective on how to rationally consume news other than Chicago's Morning Answer, of course. <laughs>
7: Yeah, always, always tune into that and aim um, No, like I, I, I mostly come around to this position that you probably shouldn't consume it at all. Like it's noise; it's in the way. Uh, our brains are not equipped for it. We have this informational overload. You know, turn on any news show, and it's like breaking, breaking. This thing is happening, and this story is developing, and it's always stories that, if you you step back for a minute, they don't actually affect your life or anybody's life. Uh, Maybe you want to watch the Weather Channel, that's cool, because you know it's going (laughs) to, you know, if you bring an umbrella or not, Um, or the traffic or something, that makes sense to me, because it's, you know, serious information that isn't that politicized. Uh, But anything else, I'm not so sure what it gives you. News by its very nature is extreme, You know, like, what you do every single day, normal kind of things that happen. You know, you drive to work, you get up, you leave your kids somewhere, you, like, take a shower. That's not going to go on on the news because it's normal. So the kind of stuff that goes on the news are extreme things. And if you consume extreme things over and over and over, you're going to get a very weird view of the world. Um, And I definitely think that's one of the reasons that people have, like, such strange impressions of what's happening, you know. um, We don't know, like, my favorite example is uh, all these tests that people like Hans Rosling and, 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 and Gapminder people have been doing. Like, you know, how many people were uh, lifted out of poverty? What's, you know, uh, all, all of the, like, what's the, how many people have diabetes in your country? Like, things like that. People don't have a clue because, you know, things are in your face and you get a distorted view of the, of the world. So when things get better, you tend to believe that they actually get worse.
2: Well, how did you wean, wean yourself that? off of the news?
7: Uh, my my favorite trick is to just not watch it and, and read instead. Consume slow news if you want to read serious things. Read books. Read magazines. Uh, listen to long form podcasts. Listen to serious conversations that aren't clickbaity and aren't you know like thirty second segments on you know CNN or something. Um, and my other favorite trick, I, I use Twitter a lot, but I, I I curate it heavily by muting all the things I don't want to see. So there, there's a function there where you can mute your words, mute words. So I mute everything I don't want to see. And every time there's some big event happening in the news, I don't see the news, but I see other people mentioning these words and I mute them.
2: Okay, and, what, what and words? Just, yeah, what, exactly. I want to know. You've, you've muted?
0: I've got a suggestion. I got one. Let me see. Let me, let me, let me, let me posit one guess. And okay. then you tell us. Here's a word that Joaquin book mutes. Existential.
7: <laughs> um, actually, I might not. That might that one might not be on the, you on better the add list. It. Yeah, yeah you so add it. is definitely. She is. She's definitely on it. Uh, the Donald is definitely there. I, the, the latest ones I added were Hamas and Gaza. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't need that.
0: And what? What was the first one you said? Who's who's
7: who's? Uh, Hamas. Oh. No, no. oh, Jacob Thunberg, the Swedish climate activist who likes to say, say
0: existential. Oh, oh, yeah. He is definitely oh. on the list. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's
7: definitely
0: there. Uh, all right. Well, ex- you know, since everything is an existential threat, I mean, to your point about extremism yeah. and, oh, and hy- hysteria-inducing, right, exactly. Uh, I, so uh, as you're all right, uh, trying to tackle serious things and push away the noise, what about the serious things that are going in the West with respect to... Uh, popular revolts, for lack of a better description, uh, Gert Wilders in the Netherlands, most recently. But before that, last week we spent a lot of time talking about yeah. Javier Milei, and um, yeah. and 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 he is uh, you know bringing some a serious paradigm shift, or at least he intends, to, it would seem, to bring a serious paradigm shift to Argentina, including uh, the dollarization of Argentina. And I wanted to get your reaction to that, particularly because we sort of have uh, a bit of a historical analog. It's not perfect, but um, the financial troubles of Greece earlier, well, last decade, and um, and the debate that happened there between devaluing the currency or uh, an austerity program and maintaining alliance with the EU. And I just wanted to get your, your uh, take on – sort of the importance of this moment in Argentina and what it might mean for the West?
7: Yeah, I mean, I, I follow it not super closely, but uh, I find it very interesting. I used to live in Argentina a decade ago, um, and, you know, I'm a libertarian by philosophy, so obviously this is an exciting moment to see what, what's going to happen, um, and to see what, what he actually manages to pull off. My understanding is that he's kind of gridlocked in Parliament and things, so he might not be able to do as many things as he wants to, or says that he wants to, anyway. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And it's very interesting. Uh, the analog to Greece is, it's sort of interesting. It sort of points to this problem with dollars. Like I hear a lot of people say, yeah, Argentina, uh, the government can't manage their finances. Dollarizing, uh, uh, the economy is the, the perfect thing to do. And Argentina are already saving dollars and this is perfect. and It's going to tie their hands. And that's true. But The analog analog to Greece there is pretty aft because Greece was tied, like in the euro. They didn't have control over the euro
9: because the European
7: Central Bank did. So they'd already outsourced the monetary monetary control over Greece. Um, They still got into this mess, right? So it indicates sort of that dollarization, while it's good, and I definitely favor, you know, tying the hands of, of corrupt politicians as much as possible. Um, it that doesn't have to. It, it's not necessarily the solution. Like you need more yeah. than that. Well, right. It's not my, a panacea. my colleagues at AR wrote that you know you have to you have to accompany you have to accompany monetary reform with fiscal reform. You can't like just think you know like just dollarize the economy and then spend like crazy. No, you still need to no. fix the fiscal problems in your country.
0: Of course, it's not a panacea, but it it is an important. Um... Statement of principle, because what it essentially says, what Miele is essentially saying, as I understand it, is that um, the savers and the small entrepreneurs and the poorer households, they're not going to pay the heaviest price, which they do with inflation. Instead, it's going to be the state owned companies and the rent seeking uh, larger firms and so forth. They're going to bear the brunt of this. That's that's an important distinction and i hope he explains that too because maybe some people don't get that aspect of the dollarization so of course fiscal reforms are also necessary and they're going to come in one form or the other but you know who is lining up to bear the biggest brunt um under what mile proposes to do is important
7: yeah absolutely and and you got to keep in mind that the people in argentina who have access to dollars are generally not the poorest um so, so when it's like it's very hard to fairly dollarize or fairly get out the, of a currency. But they're the, but they're the savers.
0: But they're the savers.
7: Uh, the poorest people in a, in a society. They may, they no, may no, no, have, no, no. The people with the people
0: with the, like, the, the people with dollars are the savers. Is my point.
7: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. So, like, how? So, so the way that you have to 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 jump over to a new monetary system, the way like, but that's what the dollarizing is. So you somehow have to convert the the peso holdings, or you just hyperinflate the the, the currency so that the value of your uh, of your paper pesos just goes absolutely to zero. But in that case, you hurt the poorest a lot because they're the ones who actually hold some pesos. Nobody yeah. else holds any pesos. Um, they get out of it as fast as they possibly can by any kind of hard asset or saving dollars or foreign uh, accounts or whatever. Um, so you have to be a little bit careful about how you do this. And it's very hard to do it without pain.
0: Um, oh no, there's going to be pain. I mean, you know, it's a, it, and we see this in the West too. I mean, we're obviously not in the position of Argentina with 140 yeah. uh, percent uh, inflation in October, but but um, we're on our
2: way there.
0: Well, right, and and you yeah, know, on our get, way there, yeah. And every country in the West getting out of the uh, expansive, unfinanceable government that we've imposed on ourselves none of that is going to be without pain.
7: Yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. The only, the only benefit I see is that, you know, Argentinians, there's like a collective mentality and a collective history. Like people know that you should not trust your politicians. You should not trust your monetary authority. You should not hold pesos. You should do everything in your power to get out of pesos. Um, but I think Americans and Europeans don't really have that basic mentality. They, you know, like a lot of Americans are very proud over the dollar and they want to, you know, they, they don't mind holding a bunch of dollars, but they don't, they miss out, miss out this idea that they're just siphoned off value via the constant inflation. Yeah. Uh, so people just hold their nation's currency. They don't, they don't have this mentality or understanding that a lot of Argentinians have that, you know, you can't just sit on cash. You need to like get out because these guys are not trustworthy. Yeah. Um, well, that's, they're, they're,
0: they're, they're. That, that may be changing ever so slowly, but it's, there's definitely some yeah. change afoot. Uh, Joakim Book, writer, researcher, editor on all things money, finance, and financial history. Joakim, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
7: Thanks for having me on.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our Answer line.
1: Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. If there's uh, one thing I adore, What's that, Black
2: Friday shopping?
0: It is... uh, Promos from network affiliate reporters and anchors, station promos, okay. and uh, particularly station promos that have that Homer-esque angle, you know, best city in the world and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did uh, some of those when you were at NBC5.
2: I'm sure, yes. And then at JBK in Detroit and El Paso, Tucson. Yes, we did all those. Yes, yes. Detroit. Because where news matters. The best of all
0: possible worlds, Detroit. (laughs) Detroit. Now, I'm talking about something like seasonal, giving you this impression of the city, not the news station itself, but the impression of the city.
2: Okay.
0: So here's something I saw that uh, speaks to what I'm referencing. This is a sports score regurgitator at WGN named Chris Bowden.
2: He's a good human being, but okay, go on. What did they make him do?
0: Well, I don't know. Sometimes you have to
2: do things that you're like, do I really have to do that?
0: He's a pretty good actor if he was compelled to do this. Uh, WGN, Christmas memories from the uh, point of view of their able on-air talent. And the question that uh, this prompts, you're about to hear, is that... All that's left for Chicagoans, is that all that's left, do you feel, is nostalgia about the city? Because that's what this is.
1: One of my fondest memories of the season is when my son and daughter were real young, we would drive downtown, park around the Art Institute, and then walk all the way up the Magnificent Mile here to Water Tower Place. Then we'd turn around and go down the other side of Michigan Avenue, stopping at numerous shops. And then we'd cap off the day at Marshall Fields, looking at the holiday window display, the great tree in the walnut room, and go to Daly Center Plaza. We were all tired afterwards, but it really ramped up the excitement and the anticipation of the season.
0: Can you do any of the things that he just said today?
2: Three one two six four two five six zero zero 642 5600 turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Well, I used to do that with my grandma Ruth. We used to take the L down uh, town and get off at State Street and then walk and look at the windows, you know, on State Street and Christmas windows and the decorations to get you in the mood. But I would never in a million years do that right now. Well, I don't that's know my... if anybody would. I know that's your point, but did you ever yeah. do anything any Christmas rituals like that? I mean, I, you know,
0: I've, I I've, I lived in the city for two decades. I know this oh, will then. come as a surprise to everyone who. You did? Har- wants to harp on how <laughs> my tenuous connection to Chicago having only lived there for 50 years, 20 in the city. Uh-huh. But um yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm pretty well versed in uh-huh. with the city and the state because of my involvement in politics, but but I mean that the the point of that is, I, I know this can come across. Maybe this is like I'm I'm reaching here. It's just an innocuous, happy holidays kind of rah rah thing. But but it's all part of the propagandizing about Chicago and the quote unquote news stations are the worst offenders. I mean, I it's not so much getting after. Bowden here, but it's just, I just love the, when the kids were young, we used to do this. <laughs> Can you do any of that now? And I'm not talking about just because, you know, some stores come and some stores go. I don't expect the city to be static, but you have this anticipation that the city will always be a magnet and will always have these attractive features. And if it's not Marshall Fields, it's another superstore with another Christmas, you know, another big store with a with a Christmas experience or something else that's innovative that, uh, you know, attracts you downtown besides the bean. And I just it, having
2: it, Christmas brunch at the Walnut Room. And all that, yeah, and all
0: that. right. Sure. I, it's just that to me, it just speaks to what Chicago isn't. And the hearkening back to what it was, at least in part, although I'm always want to say the good old days weren't always so good, but
2: they're better than they are now. But I mean, look but, at the tourists on Saturday that were shopping on Michigan Avenue and there is a pro-Palestinian protest where then they had to clear the streets. They shut down the Mag Mile again. It's like you can't win or lose around here.
0: Yeah. And
2: I mean, they have a right to do that. But it's like there's a time and a place and it's come on.
0: It just seems to me, though, that like that 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 sort of uh, propagandizing by WGN is well, exactly that it's. More of the beautiful lie telling. Don't um, don't pay attention to what you see and experience now. Remember what it used to be like. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Text Line. Susan in West Chicago.
2: Hi. Dan and Amy, I'm wondering how many people in Chicago remember the Marshall Fields broadcast on the radio of the Cinnamon Bear. Oh, the Cinnamon Bear! I don't recall. Tell us more about this Cinnamon Bear. Oh, wasn't, was that, a, wasn't that Warner Saunders' nickname? I mean, it. Um, <laughs> it was just a little—it's two little kids, and their, their magic bear came to life at Christmas time, and it's really—it's just really cute. It's sweet. Well, I have to tell you, Cinnamon Bear has been shot in a drive-by. What they call it? Case of mistaken identity.
0: Isn't Cinnamon Bear was a was a pimp on the West Side, (laughs) wasn't he? Am I (laughs) do I have that confused? Um, Yeah. Well, now it's you know what was that guy's name? Uh, In Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, Huggy Bear. Now, now, now it's uh, yeah, walk down the Mag Mile. (laughs) And get hit over the head by oh, when, when somebody yeah. grabs a log from the Starbucks display.
2: Yeah, from the Christmas display and uses it to. I mean, I know somebody, and she's still in ICU.
0: I, I know these are these are one offs, but you know, a number of one offs. This you aggregate enough one offs, and it starts to tell you something about the environment. I, it just. It just—I mean—the the the story all morning that Mike Scott's been reporting about the uh, the uh, migrant base camp that's going up in Brighton Park that wasn't going to be going up in Brighton Park until they did an environmental review. Of course, that's by the boards. It's it's moving along. Construction starts today with the tents. So it's—I just think I just see this as more of the beautiful lies. Right. about the city that you used to know and you're still here. And I, I get, you know, there's still things to do and you still got your friends and family around and there's still great restaurants and the lakefront hasn't moved and so on. And you still made a good day to to uh, take a ride on the sea dog today? Sure.
2: Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's 15 below with a windshield. You'll be great. Just bundle up. Wear layers. Yeah, but, but the thing is, too, that's changed is, the suburbs have such great restaurants now. We don't need to go downtown. You've got Arlington Heights has great restaurant. Rosemont. You don't have to go to Gibson's downtown or, uh, you know, you can just go out in Rosemont. That's what a lot of people are deciding to do.
0: Uh, Chris in Oakbrook.
14: Hi. My mom used to take, we grew up on the Grange. We'd get on the Burlington Northern train and go down into the Loop Union Station. We'd walk from Union Station we had eight kids, and we were probably, you know, eight or nine at the time. We'd walk all the way from Union Station to Oak Street Beach, and then we'd have peanut butter jelly sandwiches with some sand in them, which always tasted great. And then we'd walk all the way back at the end of the day. And, I mean, we had a blast, but I could never imagine doing it today, you know, yeah. walking that with in that neighborhood. No, couldn't do it.
0: Thanks for the call. Yeah, today you get kids. to come downtown for the protest azure and the uh drifting circle at some inner uh some, some um, intersection in the loop and uh the smell of dope everywhere. I mean I'm a I mean there again there are positives. I don't want to sort of over propagandize in the other direction. But i just that's what I'm just asking. Is nostalgia all that's left? When I come to the city it's still you know, friends to hang out with and restaurants to go to. But as we've been saying for years now, I mean, it's hard to make the case if you have any historical perspective that it resembles the city of even a decade ago, much less two or three. Even though crime was still a feature of the city, there's way too much violent crime. Any violent crime is too much violent crime. But but, you know, you have the ebb and flow of violent crime, but it's different now. in meaningful ways the leadership the policies that emanate from that leadership it's changed the city because policies impact people's lives and it does change things yeah taking the kids down walking on the mag mile going to Marshalls, right sure okay Greg in LaGrange
8: hi good morning guys you would think that some of those memories would awaken some for a better uh for a lack of a better term animal spirits on trying to get the city back to what it was, but I think this idea that uh, we don't have to go down to the city, we can always go to Rosemont or we can go out to the suburbs. well, I'll tell you what what's in the city is coming out to us in the suburbs,
0: yeah, I saw the, a couple shouldn't. of guys robbed the Macy's in Oakbrook yesterday or over the weekend, mm mm-hmm. yeah.
8: Yeah, I heard there were some. Uh, I heard there were some problems right over the, you know, in Forest Park too. Um, you just can't escape it, and trying to think that you can will get you nowhere. Unfortunately, I think we had this discussion today. We are going to hit rock bottom. You think this is rock bottom with twelve burglaries on Thanksgiving and another twenty? I guess here overnight. Come on you want to hit rock bottom, it's going to get a lot worse. So
2: your loins, saying, people.
8: It's the way they Christmas the shop. Call, they
2: just robbed Chicagoans. Within a two- to three-hour span, 20-plus people were robbed.
0: Uh, Andy, Dallas, Texas.
15: Yeah, so we uh, used to have a big luncheon, a bunch of board of trade guys uh, down at Gene and George Eddie's every year for, you know, a Christmas a holiday celebration, None of those guys will even come into the city anymore, the ones that are still in the suburbs and haven't migrated to Naples. So, you know, the animal spirits of turning the city around, are, are they've, they've relocated to other states. But I do have, I do have one entertaining story that you don't, you don't get nowadays. Uh, a friend of ours who we've actually played golf with, a uh, big, big uh, personality in the Chicago commercial real estate industry, well, the real estate commercial real estate guys they have a they used to have a big party at the lodge every year Christmas party.
0: Oh, sure, the lodge. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Amy closed that place many a night.
15: Many a nights. Yeah, they know her name. They oh, know yeah, her. Right. Oh yeah,
0: she's the norm of uh, the lodge. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
15: so anyway, one one year, this guy who is, like I said, a big a big name in the in the commercial real estate, uh, he actually got banned from the the uh, industry party for about seven or eight years. After one year, he uh, he couldn't find a cab uh, coming from another party, so he just jumped in an idling limo and drove it to the lodge and walked inside <laughs> until about a half hour later. The cop showed up uh, asking about hey what uh, what about this stolen limo and uh, that, that got him kicked out. But then he got back in a good grace. So uh.
0: he was just ahead of the Zipcar uh, <laughs> you know era. That's <laughs> all. Thanks for the call, Andy. What a great story. Uh,
14: Larry and Elmer. Hey, good morning. Hey, you know, WGN, speaking of that, they were like 10 hours late uh, when that cop got shot with uh, updates and that uh, that nobody was caught, blah, blah, blah. It was like they had to put that on. It was breaking news, but they didn't really want to do the story because it was a cop that got shot second point is uh there's a way to get around the uh semi-automatic gun law go to uh washington uh, gun law ron beavis of uh law weapons in naperville he's got this piece you can put in an ar as long as it's a gas operated where it changes it into a bolt action to get around the law and then yeah
0: yeah thanks for the color we have actually covered that but okay uh, that's not exactly uh, waxing uh, philosophic about Chicago. it's more like preparing to go to Chicago, but that's not well that's I guess that's sort of a commentary uh Jim and Lagrange,
14: hi, Dan Hi Amy. yeah, we used to go down as a family uh aside from the politics we'd we, you know we'd put that aside for a day we'd go down we'd we'd shop at nordstrom we'd have lunch at Banderas one of our favorite places oh, I love Bandera. Uh, Which is closed, right? Best you know?
0: Closed, best prime rib sandwich in the city.
14: Oh, uh, Let me tell you something. Then They made a kick in Moscow Mule, too. But yeah, So we, so we go down and we go shopping up and down um, a Magnificent Mile. We'd always stop at the 95th for cocktails and check out the view. It was fantastic. Uh, but we don't do anything anymore. It really kind of changed when the mask mandates came into play, and then Black Lives Matter and Antifa people were literally locking arms and blocking entrances to the stores. And I'm like, nah, you know, we just can't do this anymore. So now we just do a more tame suburban uh, uh, outing. But, you know, to Amy's point and to another caller's point, too, you know, it, it's moving west and it's heading our way. So are you really safe anymore? But we just we just choose not to insert ourselves into the city um, in, in any meaningful manner anymore.
0: Thanks for the call, Jim. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, the uh, Pritzker purge law, remember, that's statewide. We had uh, another... Uh, uh, example of what you can anticipate Chicago man arrested for felonies three times in ten days he got arrested and charged with felonies three times uh, and each time he was let out because it was drug related and given that uh, his first arrest was with 56 baggies containing heroin and 28 containing crack I don't think it was for personal use that's a supposition I'm offering And then uh, he got arrested again and again, and he's uh, eligible for electronic monitoring, even though he's got three felony drug arrests in 10 days. So that's not limited. You know, this uh, these individuals are not bound by the imaginary corporate boundaries of Chicago, at least in terms of mobility. Right. Which is what we spent a lot of time trying to convince people of. But again. The beautiful eyes, the nostalgia just too powerful. Hey, you don't run down Chicago. You don't run down Illinois. And again, to describe reality is to run it down per these propagandists. Tom Blue Island.
16: Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, my mom, one year, it was one of the years the Chicago Fest planned a whole week to take the four of us downtown. My sister and my two brothers and I we went to Chicago fest one day went to the beach one day went to the Sears Tower another day and the last day she took us to a real nice restaurant and we loved it took the took the bus down there the Archer Express ketchup bus Archer Express and uh, and it was awesome and there was never even a hint of any kind of trouble and uh that would never happen now and the only time we go downtown now, you know, at least two or three of us are packing and we're only going down there to drink. A couple of them are coppers, but eat four big guys and we still look around just to be safe that no one wants any trouble.
0: Thanks for the call, Tom. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Just a postscript on our brief conversation about favorite restaurant. I know why Gene and George is your favorite restaurant.
2: Why? I I feel... Because they have great food.
0: I feel compelled to tell our audience why.
2: Oh, no. What do you got, boss?
0: Because you and your gal pal, Lissa, are treated like uh, the... uh, Queens of England there. Well, I mean, it's all, our it's picture all, was on the wall for a while. Yeah, exactly. It's all status. we did go
2: to Italy. Well, we ran into the owners uh, when we were in Italy and then just hung out with oh, them for the rest yeah. of the week.
0: Yeah, I've seen that routine in there, <laughs> and it, it's like something out of Goodfellas. <laughs> Everybody stands up and the kissing on the cheeks yes. and all that, yeah. So Which it's table
2: the, would you like Mrs. Jacob's?
0: Yeah, right. It's yeah. the status thing. No. See, whereas uh, me... Yeah, being humble and lovable. Oh, I'm just
2: so lovable. He's I'm just
0: another. That. I'm just another patron at Le Nomad. It's no no fanfare, no big deal. Yeah. I'm there for the food and the experience. Okay. I don't need to be feted. See,
2: is your picture on the wall? No, I the, think pic, not. The
0: picture's on the wall. No, because it's. it's a, well, never mind. It's but no, the there are no anymore, pictures on the wall. No. There's art on the wall. But it's just be authentic.
2: They haven't changed anything. There's still paneling on the walls. And, you know, it's just old school, Italian, great steakhouse. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I like Gina Giorgetti's. But, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. I'm just, you know, I just want to make sure people understand that a lot of it, it's like what, what makes Gina Giorgetti's better than Chicago Cut or all the other steak? It's because that's where Amy and her friends get treated like royalty. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which is part of the experience. I grant you. All right. Uh, All right. So so let's get to Evanston. So we broke the story on this show uh, back over the summer about uh, Evanston Township High School, which is completely run by race hustling identitarians and uh, the academic performance shows, which is to say terrible and most terrible for those they most focus upon. Students of color, black and Latino. Boy, gee, that doesn't repeat itself everywhere. Chicago, for example. Anyway, uh, we uh, got wind that uh, the AP classes were being segregated by race with special assistance for students who were black or Latino. Black AP math section, Latino AP math section, and... uh, Facilitators, extra uh, you know, instructives, instru- uh, extra staff to instruct on on the t- subject and the test, and this was uh, sort of dismissed. Nobody really picked it up. You don't want to talk about it. And uh, our friend Mark Perry, f- uh, professor of econ emeritus at University of Michigan, uh, picked up on the story, filed a. Um, Uh, civil rights complaint against Evanston Township High School because what they were doing was in violation of civil rights laws. And then they quietly uh, changed the verbiage in the catalog to be uh, compliant with Mm -hmm. Title IX and Title VI. But it was was a nothing burger. Oh, really?
2: Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, uh, over the weekend, Wall Street Journal expose... To shrink learning gap, this district offers classes separated by race. High school in Evanston offers so-called affinity classes in which black and Latino students are separated from white students. Oh, I guess we weren't making it up. I guess it's a real thing. And now they're going to lean into it after the fact, after they're technically compliant, but certainly not substantively. Unless you think segregating students by race is something we should go back to? We should overturn Brown v. Board of Education. It seems like the leadership at Everson Township High School would be compelled to support that if they were going to be intellectually consistent, although, again, that's not their strength. Uh, Yeah, Battling the academic achievement gap between black, Latino, and white students. So now they have classrooms voluntarily separated by race. Nearly 200 black and Latino students at ETHS signed up this year for math classes and a writing seminar intended for students of the same race taught by a teacher of color. Because, as we know, only black teachers can teach black students and only white teachers can teach white students and so forth. Right. That's what you want to do. Uh, the uh, and, and, you know, they volunteered. Hey, this is this is the students desiring it. Oh, really? Because that's what they'll say. So, so there was no influence exerted by the die staff and the assistant superintendents and the superintendent and the school board and the no no they weren't suggesting this would be a good idea this is something the students all came up with by themselves because you know uh you come out of the womb just saying i i want to just be with people who look like me and no one else particularly when it comes to math and reading education sure that's about uh the quality of the intellect you're dealing with here, these identitarian apparatchiks. The uh, so-called, or the optional so-called affinity class is designed to address the achievement gap by making students feel more comfortable in class, according to district leaders, as if the district has any leaders. Monique Parsons is, an Evanston, is the Evanston School Board Vice President. Our black students are, for lack of a better word, at the bottom consistently still, and they're being outperformed consistently. It's not good.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: No, that isn't good. I wonder why that is. Uh, and uh, so they've gone this way. You can't do it mandatorily, so you do it voluntarily.
1: With some encouragement.
0: Uh, Dina Luna, who leads black student achievement initiatives in Minneapolis. There's a model. A lot of times within our education system, black students are expected to conform to a white standard. Is that really... Really, is that what it is? Hmm. In our spaces, you don't have to shed one ounce of yourself because everything about our space is rooted in blackness. 312-642-5600, Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A. Turnkey Text Line. Let me give you a, an a, even better example of the leadership of the school district. This is a woman named Janae mcalpin Tony. She's the director of equity for Evanston Township High School. Uh, this is an interview she did with a race hustling author named Bettina Love. Uh, look for this book if you see it pop up in your kid's curriculum, uh, just like How to Be an Anti-Racist, Kendi, White Fragility, Robin D'Angelo, and all of the race hustling pro-segregationist tomes that we've talked for years about in this show and the authors too, ta Coates Janae McAlpantoni. all you need to hear is the question that she poses to this race hustling author, Bettina Love you don't need to hear the answer this tells you everything you need to know right here
4: one of uh, my focuses is on um, whiteness and how it has pretty much destroyed education um, for black students and just for students in general. And in your book, you talk a lot about whiteness and even bigger than that, you talk about white rage. So can you give us a little bit of a um, background about whiteness and then talk to us a little bit about white rage that you highlighted in your book?
0: hmm. How do uh, honky students keep the uh, black and Latino students down? Go. So that's the premise from which ETHS's leaders are starting. And you wonder why the results are the results. No uh, not-so-soft bigotry of low expectations there. You're a victim. You're being oppressed by whiteness. And see those uh, honky students around you? They're your oppressors. That's why you're falling behind in math or reading. That's why you don't get a, a three, four, or five on the AP history exam, because you have to exist around these honkies. That that I mean, is that the way you want to model it? Is that what, how, what we should do for K through 12 education? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey pro text line.
2: Why did it take the Wall Street Journal so long to write this article? I don't know. Hmm.
0: Um, In the 2021-2022 school year, 80% of white AP test takers uh, earned a score of three or higher, which is usually we need to get some college credit. So 80% of whites, 61% of Latinos, and 48% of blacks got a three or better. So here's another way to look at it. That means 20% of whites... 39% of Latinos and 52% of blacks did not get a three or higher, didn't get the score you need for college credit. How about putting those kids together? How about putting the kids that are falling behind together, regardless of their race, because they're having probably similar struggles, right? Is that an idea? I mean, in Illinois, we know from the recently released statewide report card, 1.85 million kids, about a third read at grade level in the state, about a quarter do math at grade level, again, in the state. So it seems to me there's a lot of kids, white, black, Latino, and other, who are struggling to graduate at least with the requisite skills to go on to post-secondary education or the workforce, much less get uh, the scores you need for uh, an AP test for college credit. So what about just focusing on uh, the good students, the students that are getting it, that are at or better where they need to be, maybe even enlisting some of them to be tutors for their classmates regardless of race and helping the kids providing a little extra help for the kids that are falling behind or that are behind regardless of race That that's another way to do it
2: right but that makes too much sense
0: well it makes too much sense in Evanston and most of Chicagoland and most of the K-12 through government school systems Tony on the south side
15: Yeah, uh, yes. uh, Good morning. Listen, I was telling your screener, I I really believe that it started when we accepted the bonnets, when we went from the uh, term ask to X, And at that particular point, things started
8: going downhill.
0: Thanks for the call, Tony. I mean, it's just the the larger point. I don't know that you pinpointed on a single instance. It's the larger philosophy. About how kids learn and whether race is central to how they learn. And I would argue it isn't. And they would argue it is the most important factor. And there is no scholarship to support that claim. But it doesn't matter because it's not about scholarship. It's about politics. John in Florence, Wisconsin,
14: well, you know, I was watching some of the stuff that came out of Gaza, you know, um, that uh, Hamas puts out where they have the little five and six-year-olds, you know, well, if I if I slit the throats of five Jews and I killed 10 Jews with a grenade, I got 15 dead Jews and they jump up and down. And then I go back over to our country and, you know, putting this race in place of dead Jews may sound extreme, well, Or, uh, you know, the the last purple-haired teacher with, uh, you know, she's non-binary, double-queer, furry, X, Y, Z. And while we were sitting around on the sidelines, these people have taken over the colleges, which churned out the educators. And, you know, here, as long as we're in this world, control the youth, you control the future. Thanks,
0: John. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.